scripture reading this morning is from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. In the Pew Bibles, that's on page 1054. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. Again, it's 1 Timothy 3, verses 14 and 15. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourselves in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we want to be an encouragement to you. As a nation, we'll celebrate Thanksgiving Day uh, this coming Thursday. What a blessing it is to be able to have some time with extended time with family and those that we love, and we're thankful for that, and we want to be mindful and really count our blessings in that. But we also want to continue a tradition that we've had for a lot of years here, and that is we want to challenge everybody to at least count a hundred blessings between now and Thursday. A good way to do that would be today, get out a sheet of paper and write down 20 things that you're thankful for, meditate on it, thank God for those 20 things, and then Monday, add 20 more, but don't repeat any of the previous days. And then Tuesday, add 20 more each day, meditating and praying and thanksgiving for what God has done. And by Thursday morning, you'll get up and you'll add your last 20 and you'll have 100 things that you're thankful for. Now, many of us have taken that also as a tradition, not only our spiritual family, but, but we've allowed that to flow over into our physical families. And uh, one of the great traditions that several now have is we eat our Thanksgiving meal, and now even extended family that come from other states, they know, they bring their list of hundred with them. And, uh, and before dessert, of course, you know, you're always too full to go right into dessert anyway. And, and so we sat there for 10, 15, 20 minutes, and we just let everybody go around and give... 10, 15, 20 off their list, and it really is a special time. However it is meaningful to you, the important thing is be grateful. Be grateful and allow this time to be uh, with others to be a time that we would prompt and promote great gratefulness or gratitude also in their lives. It's an exciting time. It's also a very sober time in the life of this congregation. When we think that this fall marks our 120th year as the Mount Juliet Church of Christ in this very piece of property. And when we go outside the doors and to the right, we look on the wall and we see about 17 men that in the past and the present have led this congregation as elders. Another word for that in the Bible is bishops or overseers or presbyters or shepherds. All of those are describing one single office. And it's the office that the Lord has given us that according to the scripture reading that has just been read, look back at that again, if you will, in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 14 and 15, where Paul was hoping to come to them shortly, but then he says, So I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. Now, when we look at this, do you remember the context of this 1 Timothy, the third chapter? That's verse 14 and 15. Do you remember verses 1 through 13? 
It's the qualification of elders and of deacons. And now Paul is saying to Timothy, who is working with the church at Ephesus, which was a church that already had elders and deacons, it was time probably to appoint others. And so with with that in mind, he's saying, I want to come to you quickly, but if I'm delayed, there's some things that you need to do that the church there needs to do so that they will conduct themselves in the way that they ought to be. Listen, if we're going to be what God wants us to be, we must have a strong and a godly eldership and deaconship and a congregation that joins in following and working and worshiping along with their leadership. If we're not doing that as a church family, we would not be conducting ourselves in the way that we should. We've been blessed here for a lot of decades with with a lot of spiritual growth with a lot of reaching out, not only to our neighbors, but around the world, with a lot of peace and a lot of unity and a lot of souls being reached and the gospel being proclaimed. Why? Because we followed God's plan on how to behave ourselves in the house of God. Please realize that what we are about right now and for the next couple of weeks is not a mission based on man. It literally is something that we want to become a partnership with God. Now, I'm not talking about a miraculous fashion, but I am talking about in a very, very literal fashion. In other words, if it were just up to us, we might look around and say, who's done well in their career? Let's appoint him. Who is well known in the community? Let's appoint him. Who is my best friend? Let's appoint him. But notice, the Lord... And even the Holy Spirit is to have part in partnering with us for this. Let's look at where Paul spoke to the elders of Ephesus. Remember, we're reading 1 Timothy 3 here. That's also Timothy in Ephesus. But let's go back and see where he was talking to the elders of Ephesus in Acts the 20th chapter. In Acts the 20th chapter, I'd like for you to notice verse 28. Acts 20 and 28. Therefore... Take heed to yourselves. He's talking to elders, by the way, here. And and you can see that back in Acts 20 and verse 17. He's addressing the elders. And now in 28, he says to them, Take heed to yourself and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. The reminder... This church does not belong to anyone on this earth. This is the Lord's church. And the Lord says, the Holy Spirit has given you a message. We have an inspired writing. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has given a message. And He says, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Friends, I don't believe there was anything miraculous about the elders being appointed at Ephesus. I believe that just for them would be the same for us today. The Holy Spirit has given the guidelines of how God's church is to behave itself. How is God's church to be led? He says there to be elders, there to be bishops, overseers, all the same office. And he says, let me tell you how a man can be qualified for this. And so the Holy Spirit does his part. He reveals to us God's message and then we must be very sober in doing our part in finding men that would serve and fulfill these qualifications. We have quite a task this morning. 
the elders have asked me to go over with you the list of the qualifications for elders and deacons. Let me tell you real quick where we're going, where if you want to have your Bible open, and and it is going to be more like a lecture than a sermon from here out, because we have about 18 verses or so to cover. We're going to be looking at the first paragraph of 1 Timothy 3 as he talks about elders. Then we'll go over to a paragraph in, in Titus 1 that he talks about elders. Then we'll go back to 1 Timothy 3 and look at a paragraph about deacons. And then we will have read what the Holy Spirit has revealed to us about the qualifications of elders and deacons. Let's read the one in 1 Timothy 3, verse 1 through 7. 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. As we read this, don't just read it as a text of Scripture. Read it as a command of God to say, this is what the men must have if they are to be qualified. Verse 1, this is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, Lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Now notice verse 1 there on the previous slide or in your Bible there, verse 1. Notice he gave a saying. In other words, apparently it had been said so many times it was like a proverb. And that was, if a man desires the office of a bishop... He desires a good work. Apparently that had become a quote among people in the, the first century, the New Testament church. And so it was the idea of esteeming this office. If you set your mind on, on wanting to devote your life to leading the Lord's people, if a humble man is so devoted to the kingdom that he wants to do that, he's saying, that is a good thing. And then he says, a man must, the bishop must be. Notice, these things are not suggestions. These are commands. They are qualifications. They're not qualifications that you put a group of men together and collectively they all fulfill it. These are qualifications that each man should fulfill these if he is going to be qualified to serve as an elder. Now, maybe to help us better link these together in our mind for understanding's sake, let's do this with each of these paragraphs. Let's see the ones that teach about a man's character. Let's see the ones that teach about a man's leadership in his family. And then let's see the one that teach about a man's spiritual life in the church. So let's go back now to these very same verses and let's look at a man's character. He said, a bishop then must be temperate, sober-minded. Both of these deal with clear, decisive thinking. But then also, good behavior and hospitable. It's not just enough to think things, but we must be men that go into action to do things if we would ever be qualified to serve as an elder. 
And so here is a man who is hospitable. His behavior is good. Hospitality, as we think about it today, is having friends into our home. But when we go back to the original language, it has just as much to do with how you treat strangers. A great definition, uh, if we're going to use an illustration, a great illustration of hospitality in the New Testament was the Good Samaritan. He was hospitable to a stranger that had great need. But then he gives three moral issues. Not given to wine, not violent, and not greedy for money. Listen, these things cannot rule a man's life and him serve effectively as an elder. And so therefore, these things cannot be a part of his life if he's going to be qualified to serve as an elder. Now these next three serve as almost further explanation of the three we just mentioned. Notice, gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous. And those three began with, with a contrast of but. In other words, instead of being filled with wine, be gentle. And we see that from Ephesians 5 and 17 where he tells us to not be filled in excess with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit produces mercy or, or uh, uh, a meekness or gentleness. And then also not quarrelsome, we go in an explanation again of not being violent and not greedy for money. Another way to explain that is not being covetous, not only for money, but for any possessions or any one. But then notice this last one under a man's character. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those on the outside. Why? Lest he fall into reproach in the snare of the devil. Let me tell you what Satan, now this is from the Word of God. Let me tell you what Satan's wanting to do right now. Satan is wanting to set a snare. He wants to set a trap for the Mount Juliet Church of Christ. And what he wants is he wants us to appoint a man into office that whenever it is said in the community, this man is an elder at the Mount Julia Church of Christ, people would mock the church. Because he says, that man creates reproach. It would be a disgust towards the church if individuals found out that that man was an elder. And Satan, he sets that as a trap. He wants us to do that. And obviously that's something as God's children we want to learn from God and avoid. But also notice how a man leads his family. A bishop then must be the husband of one wife. So we see that it is a man and we see that he is a one woman man. He's not committing fornication. He's not committing adultery. He's not a polygamist, but he also has children. And notice he rules those children well. And notice they are in submission and with all reverence. Those are two things that are very clear. If a man's children were not in submission to him, he's not qualified to be an elder. If they did not respect him, he's not qualified to be an elder. And notice it even talks about the degree. It evaluates how well did he do leading his home. Now, not that we need to always be explained why God gives us certain commands or teachings, but this time God does teach us. Look at the parenthetical phrase there. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Now, a reminder here, the church doesn't belong to man It's God's family. And so God is saying to us, if there's a man that he has not fed spiritually and protected spiritually and led his own family spiritually, God's saying, brethren, don't put him in charge of my family. It's that simple. 
That's, that's what he's saying here. And so when we look at the qualifications, it's very important. Listen, if a man's children would not respect him as a leader, it doesn't matter how good a friend he is to us. He would not have a place to be qualified in the Lord's place of an elder. But now let's look at a man's spiritual life. And I know in one sense, as Christians, everything we do is spiritual. I'm just trying to refer to the characteristics here, the qualifications that deal with his life and his work in the church. Notice, a bishop then must be blameless. Note that word, blameless. It doesn't mean that a man has never sinned. It doesn't mean that that man doesn't have some things in his past that he's ashamed of. But it's just this. It's in his past. Blameless. That's talking about today. Today, there is no active reigning sin in his life. Today, there is nothing that someone can bring up and say, look what this man is doing. But notice the second one. He's a man who is able to teach. The only way that we can know that a man would be able to teach is probably to hear him teach. And when we get to Titus, he's going to expound on that more. A third thing is, in his spiritual life, he can't be a novice. And he compares that to what Satan did when he became full of pride. And that's what could very easily happen to a man who was put in at a too young of age spiritually for the work that God has laid forth. Let's go to Titus 1 now. If you have your Bibles open, go to Titus 1. Let's read 5 through 9, and we will add just a few more onto this. Titus 1, 5 through 9. For this reason, Paul now is writing to Titus, who's working with the churches on the island of Crete, and he says, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are liking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. See, that was not in place yet. It needed to be in place. And so... What does he tell about elders? If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation and subordination, for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. Let's add a few more to the man's character. One is not to be quick-tempered. The eldership is not a place for a short fuse. There's just too much tension and too many people that have to be worked with for the Lord's name to be marred by a man who has a short fuse. Notice as we drop down in here, we see not only one who does good, but is one who is a lover of good. A man who truly has devoted his life to doing good. And then after sober-minded, notice he says just... How does that man do in dealing with others? Does he deal with others in a righteous way? But notice also holy. Is that man free from things that otherwise would defile his life? Now let's go to the man's leadership in his family. And notice that Titus gives us a little bit more insight here. When he mentions his family, he says having faithful children. So now we see from this that a man's children should be old enough to, for their faith to have been tested and then found to have been faithful to the Lord. And so we have faithful children, and again, he gives the, the opposite here. He's, he says they shouldn't be unruly. They shouldn't be children that cause problems that would mar the reputation of the church if that man served in the office of elder. Now let's look at the man's spiritual life from Titus. We've already looked at blameless, but now notice the emphasis here that he's a steward of God, not self-willed. 
Now, I know it sounds like I'm emphasizing it, but it's because it keeps coming up in Scripture. The church doesn't belong to man. When a man goes into the office of elder and he thinks it's his church, it's a terrible thing for that congregation and for that eldership. And we're so blessed in this congregation to have men that recognize that they are stewards of God's church. And so because of that, they're not self-willed. They want God's will to be done. Now notice this, a second thing about the spiritual life. Remember a while ago we talked about able to teach? Notice this, holding fast the faithful word as he's been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine to exhort and convict. In other words, the man must be able to take the scriptures that he's already learned. Now note this about every qualification we're talking about this morning. This is not, if we put the man into office, maybe he will step up. The qualifications are for men that have already stepped up in their spiritual life. They already are able teachers that can go to someone who's teaching false doctrine and they can convince them and they can convict them without being quarrelsome, but yet using the truth. Now, for just the next few minutes, let's look back to 1 Timothy 3 and let's look at the qualifications of deacons. And I know we're covering a lot and I appreciate your patience in this this morning. Look at 1 Timothy 3 and 8 and let's read these qualifications of deacons. Likewise, we're in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 8. Deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money. Holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience, and let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanders, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children in their own houses well. For those who have served well as deacon obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Let's consider the qualifications that would describe a man's character that would be qualified as a deacon. Number one, he must be reverent. And this is the idea of honorable are respectful. It's a man that has conducted his life in such a way to create that reputation. Also, he says not double-tongued. This is interesting. This is the only place in the New Testament that this word is used. It's sometimes translated uh, sincerity. In other words, he's not going to turn around to the eldership and live one life and then at work live another life or turn around to his church family and live one life and turn around on vacation and live another life. It's someone who is not double-tongued, not given Uh, to wine, to greed of money. We see the danger of immoral areas that would defile a man and his ability to properly lead the church. But now let's look at the leadership of his family. The leadership of his family. The deacon also, of course, must be a man because he's a husband. And the husband of one wife, so not a fornicator, a daughter, or polygamist. And notice he does have children, but nowhere does it say that his children have to be believing children. So that would also deal with children that are younger or older children who are not believers. And then we see a man's spiritual life, which by the way, but he still had to lead his family well. But then a man's spiritual life that would be qualified to serve as a deacon. Notice he's holding the mystery of the faith. Where's faith come from? Hearing the word of God. So this is a man that studied the word of God. He's formed his faith and he has a pure conscience. In other words, he's obeyed the Word of God, he's holding on to that faith with a good conscience. Now, this is what we were mentioning a while ago, but God states it clearly here. 
He must first be tested. Listen. It wouldn't fit on everybody's fingers in this room how many times churches have made the mistake of saying, you know, that man, he is so ready to grow. You know what? If we appoint him as a deacon, I bet he'll start coming to church on Sunday night. Listen, God says, you let him first be tested. Is he a worker in the Lord's kingdom? Why would you put him in the leadership of the Lord's kingdom if he hasn't even begun working in the Lord's kingdom? Is he faithful? Is he holding that faith? Is he a worker in the Lord's kingdom? Once he is first tested, then he's qualified to serve. Brethren, don't disobey God by recommending men who are not faithful in the work of the kingdom and in the fellowship of the kingdom and their lives being committed to the kingdom. Again, I emphasize to you this is one of the most important things that we would do for the future of this church is to make sure that we always submit to God's leadership first as we look to our leadership among men. Now notice also, he says that they are to be blameless. And when they serve well as a deacon, they have a good standing we see that here. We love and appreciate our deacons. And they also have a boldness in the faith, which no doubt it helps them grow in faith. Now we have to back up to verse 11 and then we'll close. Most scholars agree that even though this is found in the paragraph for the deacons, that it also is the qualification when it says, likewise their wives. It's talking about elders' wives and deacons' wives. In other words, a man could be qualified himself personally in all the things that have been described, but his wife could easily disqualify him. And, and here's some things that, that the Lord says the wife must be. Notice the emphasis, must. These are not options. She must be reverent. That's the same word that describes the first description of the deacon. And that deals with an honorable life, that deals with honesty, with a good reputation, but also not slanders. The leaders' families should love the church. Church, that's people. The leaders' families should love the church so much they would never gossip about the church. Never say anything to harm individuals. Now, this should be true for every one of us. But this reminder is given that if, if a woman doesn't love the church that much and she doesn't love her Lord that much, she would disqualify her husband. Temperate deals with, with that sober thinking and that being controlled. And then finally he says, faithful in all things. Now I want to give you a reminder of where we started this morning. We've just looked at all of these qualifications and when you go and look down again at verse 14 and 15, right after the qualifications, he says, I write that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. Will you be fervent in prayer that over these next few days and weeks that we will conduct ourselves as God would want us to conduct ourselves and that we truly would find the men that God would have us to serve. The forms are at the information center. You will see... 
uh, a blue form that's a recommendation for deacons. And it's a place there for you to put your name and the who you're recommending. And of course, we urge you to pray about this and study these qualifications. The green form is for elders. And we encourage everyone here to be a part of this, most definitely in prayer. And then, if you know someone that he and his family makes him qualified to do God's work, we pray that that individual would be available, would be willing, and that God's work would continue. I want you to think about a timeline. If you look back over the last 120 years, but let's go back to 2,000 years. The church has been in existence for 2,000 years almost. We're just a dot connecting to the next generation, to the next generation. And our responsibility is to be faithful today and leave the church stronger and better in this congregation than when we found it. And every time we appoint elders and deacons, we need to keep that in mind. We're blessed. We have a tremendous eldership, tremendous deacons. But let us never lose sight of how important it is for us to lean upon God every step during this process. This morning, what about your life? Are you faithful? Are you faithful to God? Have you found your way to God or do you feel like you're wandering and you're lost? If you want to come home this morning, we'd love to assist you. If you're ready to be immersed into Christ, we would love to see you do that. We'd love to be a part of that. Maybe you've become a Christian and along the way you've lost the way. Maybe today you can't say, I'm blameless, but you want to leave here being able to say, I'm forgiven. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.